Our first reading is taken from 2 Corinthians chapter 3 and verses 12 to 18. Therefore, since we have such a hope, we are very bold. We are not like Moses, who would put a veil over his face to prevent the Israelites from seeing the end of what was passing away. But their minds were made dull, for to this day the same veil remains when the old covenant is read. It has not been removed, because only in Christ is it taken away. Even to this day, when Moses is read, a veil covers their hearts. But whenever anyone turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. Now, the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all, who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory, are being transformed into his image with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. This is the word of the Lord. Our second reading is taken from Galatians chapter 5, verses 19 to 23. The acts of the flesh are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity and debauchery, idolatry and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, and envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things, there is no law. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks so much, Uche. Well, great to be with you this morning, those of you in here and those of you joining us online as we finish this wonderful series that we've been doing, Holy Here. Let's pray for a moment together. And so, Lord, maybe we've come here this morning full of joy. Maybe we've come with disappointments, with all of our hopes and our fears, and we say afresh, today, Lord, that we need you. We thank you for your word. We pray, come Holy Spirit and show us Jesus. Amen. That first reading from 2 Corinthians 3 ends in verse 18 with the most beautiful words, that we who with unveiled faces behold the glory of God and were transformed into his glory. Basically, Paul, the writer of this letter to the church in Corinth, is saying, get close to God and you'll be changed. It's this extraordinary promise, isn't it? This extraordinary invitation that we can know the Lord, that we have this good and perfect Father, something important to remember today on Father's Day, this good and perfect Father who loves us, who is consistent in his love, who will not let us down. We know Jesus, 
We can know the power of the Holy Spirit. And it's as we grow in knowing the Lord, in relationship with him, as we pray to him, as we read the scripture, as we gather together in Christian community to grow in getting close to the Lord, it's as we're close to him that we ourselves will be transformed, that we will become holy here. It's an extraordinary promise, isn't it, for our ordinary lives. And that's what I wanna speak about this morning, the extraordinary, ordinary, or the ordinary, extraordinary reality of knowing Jesus in our midst every day here and now. John Stott, the Anglican vicar, a preacher and theologian, gave his last ever sermon in the Lake District in Keswick on the 17th of July, 2007, before his death in 2011. And he must have, I guess, preached to thousands of people giving thousands of sermons. But in this final ever sermon that he gave in Keswick, he talked about how for the kind of first half of his life, in his early 20s, he was preoccupied with this question. What is the purpose of God for the people of God? What's God's purpose, his vision, his strategy? Uh, what's God's plan? And, and Stott said that he returned to this question throughout his life and it shaped his prayer and he came back to it. And then in this final ever sermon, this is what he said. I want to share with you where my mind has come to rest as I approach the end of my pilgrimage on earth. And it is God wants his people to become like Christ. Christ-likeness is the will of God for the people of God. I have loved that ever since I heard it several years ago. It's an extraordinary thought, isn't it? That the purpose of God for me and you and the church is that we become like his son, that we become like the Lord Jesus, like him in his love, in his kindness, in his patience, like him in his courage, that we become more like Jesus, reflecting his glory. What an extraordinary thought. But yeah, that kind of final bit of John Stott's sermon, that final, it's, it's quite simple, isn't it really? It's almost a little bit like that statement cuts um, into all of his attempts, perhaps in the first half of his life, to nail it in terms of strategy and plan and project and vision. Not that those things can't, of course, be part of our Christian vocation, but actually, what a simple conviction that should shape and form and mold and influence all that we are and all that we hope to be. Become more like Jesus, John. <laughs> Become more like Jesus, Laura. Become more like Jesus, St. Aldates. As we heard from Stephen a few weeks ago, that is what holiness is. Being more like Jesus, not separating ourselves off in fear from the world, but in the places and spaces God has placed us, bringing the light of his kingdom, bringing the values of his kingdom. This extraordinary vision for our lives happens, you see, not as we're like beamed up, I don't know, to some holiness factory and we get a boost uh, before we have to kind of come back down to see how long we can survive. No, growing like Jesus, being formed in everyday holiness happens in the everyday as we brush up against people, against problems, against joys, against challenges, with all of our hopes and all of our fears. We're invited, you see, in the ordinariness of our lives to know this extraordinary reality of God with us, to be holy here and holy here and now, 
and holy for the people who we are here with whilst we wait for Jesus to return and restore this world whilst we wait for the very fullness of that promise of verse 18 of 2 Corinthians 3. And so what does it look like then? What does it look like on the ground for us to be those who flesh out this call of 2 Corinthians 3, 18? How do we do this? What does this look like for us? Well, the first thing that we see in that first passage in 2 Corinthians 3 is that in this, in this everyday holiness, in this ordinary thing, in this extraordinary invitation, we have God's extraordinary presence. We have his presence with us. You know, when Jesus is talking to his followers in John's gospel, he says to them, without me, without me in your own strength, you, you can't live the life that you've been called to. We have God's extraordinary presence. And in verse 12 of 2 Corinthians, we read this. Since we have this hope, we're very bold. We're not like Moses who would put a veil over his face so that the Israelites might not gaze at the outcome of what was being brought to an end, but their minds were hardened. For to this day, when they read the old covenant, the same veil remains unlifted because only through Christ is it taken away. But when one turns to the Lord, verse 16, the veil is removed. In the chapters before in 2 Corinthians, Paul has been reminding the church there of the joy and the wonder of living this side of the death of Jesus for our sin and of the outpouring of the spirit at Pentecost, of Jesus' resurrection. He's been reminding the church in Corinth of the joy and the wonder of God's involvement in the world in these ways. And so he says, therefore, verse 12, we can have hope because we absolutely know what God has done. We've seen him committed to us. We've seen him working out his plan of salvation, inviting us into the very presence of God. We have confirmation. We can come and see clearly. We come unveiled. We come with the revelation of the Holy Spirit, unveiling our minds, verse 14. Unveiling our hearts, verse 15. We come, verse 16, with the veil removed, Verse 18, we come with unveiled faces. We can see who Jesus is. We see the love of our Father poured out for us. We see that Jesus is the one that the Old Testament, the Old Covenant of verse 14 mentioned here. It's all pointing to him. In Exodus 33 and 34, maybe flick there now or have a read later, Moses says to God, show me your glory. He's quite bold, isn't he? <laughs> And the Lord says, well, Moses, if you're going to see my glory, my complete holiness, my splendor, my full goodness, then, and not be consumed by it, then you're going to have to hide yourself in the cleft of a rock. And when Moses has this experience of the glory of God on the mountain, he comes down the mountain to the Israelites and his face is radiant with the glory of God. You can read of this in Exodus 34. And Moses doesn't even realize. I find that interesting. I think a mark of Holiness is that kind of humility. And so he comes down and then we read that he puts a veil over his face. And Paul is uh, explaining here that maybe that's a veil because the glory is fading. Maybe that's a veil because he doesn't want to freak the Israelites out. It's just Moses who gets to experience the glory of God, not all of the Israelites in this moment. And it's just for a specific time and it's only just a flavor of the glory of God and Paul sets all of this up this little reminder of what's going on way back in Exodus to say now in Jesus and through the outpouring of the spirit at Pentecost we can all come 
We can all experience the presence of God with us. We have his extraordinary presence with us in our everyday lives. And as we encounter him more fully, as we pray to him, as we take our cares to him, as we learn more about his character through the scriptures, we find that we are transformed. A few weeks ago in here, I was chatting with someone who, just before our chat, just literally moments before, had just prayed to give his life to Jesus. I'd spoken to him at postgrad, so I knew him um, a little bit. But what was unexpected about this conversation was that this guy, you know, the newest Christian in the room, he wanted to talk about how his life needed to change. And his questions weren't just kind of general or vague. Okay, Laura, I think I'm supposed to be holy. Like, is that like a little holy glow? Or um, do I need to be a bit nicer? He was really specific. And he said, what does this mean for me when I'm out with my friends in the pub? I was there yesterday, he said, and you know, the topics of conversation are not great, and Laura, how much should I drink? And he, but here's what really struck me. His next sentence was, because I want to be closer to God. This guy, having only moments before encountered the extraordinary grace of God towards him, his love for him, wanted that extraordinary presence of God to be with him in his ordinary, everyday life. It wasn't pure morals or legalism or some kind of Christian tick list that was inspiring these questions this guy had. No, it was a desire to know the Lord closely, to know his presence in the ordinary spaces and places of his life. All of the words in the present tense in the original language of verse 18 of 2 Corinthians 3 are Paul trying to get across this idea that this is this continual, day in, day out. We draw near and we're transformed. We experience the extraordinary presence of God with us and in the ordinary spaces of our life and the places we're in, we know his transforming presence with us. I was a, a teacher in a secondary school several years ago in my um, early 20s, and there was this one afternoon when I went into the office of another teacher who also had a chaplaincy role in the school. And I was stood there telling him about how hard it was to be a Christian in this context. The time pressures, the atmosphere was tricky. This was not an easy place to be a follower of Jesus, and it had a lot to answer for in terms of how I was doing in my faith. He and several others in the school had been following Jesus in that very place for several years. And he, he pauses, smiles. You know one of those smiles someone does where you know they're about to say something kind but challenging. And he looked at me and he said, Laura, I wonder, are you truly allowing yourself to be a Christian in this place? For a moment, I was like, I'm not even sure that's very good theology and he's supposed to teach religious studies. But then I thought of all the ways in which I just carried on through my day without pausing to ask for God's help. I thought about how over the last few days, I hadn't really read my Bible. How I had been coming to church, but I'd been rushing off in order to plan lessons. How I hadn't stopped loving Jesus for one second but how many seconds of my day had been lived striving in my own strength without drawing on his extraordinary presence in the ordinary, everyday place that he had put me in that school. And so I made some changes. I got into my classroom early to pray. I asked for opportunities to share my faith in the staff room, and I knew his presence with me. 
Are we making space in the places God has put us to behold his glory, to encounter him? I wonder where will you be later today? Father's Day, maybe that's a a fun day, a hard day. Perhaps you're having lunch with neighbors or, or friends. Maybe you've got an important meeting coming up tomorrow or next week and that's sort of preoccupying your thinking into the places and spaces that God has put you. You can know his presence with you and as you do, it can change you. So we have his extraordinary presence and secondly, we see that we have his extraordinary power. Verse 17 says of 2 Corinthians 3, now the Lord is the spirit and where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. The Holy Spirit brings this freedom, a wholeness to our lives. His holiness is freedom for us. And it's in these kind of ordinary choices of our everyday lives as we choose to walk in his ways that we can know his freedom. The Bible maps out for us what a life walking with the Spirit in the power of the Spirit looks like. And one of those places is Galatians 5. That was our second reading. It was written also by Paul, most likely before 2 Corinthians. And that same language of freedom is picked up there where Paul writes, verse 16, live by the Spirit. Verse 18, be led by the Spirit. Verse 25, keep in step with the Spirit. And so what does that look like? Well, the Bible spells out for us, it looks like love, like joy, Peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. And in verses 19 and 21, Paul lists patterns of behavior that are not enjoying the freedom we have in Christ, that are not walking, led by, guided by the Spirit. Sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery, idolatry and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, it's quite a list, dissensions, factions and envy, drunkenness, orgies and the like. Those who live like this, verse 21, will not inherit the kingdom of God. Is God asking for perfection there? If he is, then we're all in trouble. No, this verse is inviting us to have open hearts, to be those who are wanting to pattern our lives in the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit, to be walking, to be led by, to be filled with the power so that in the ordinary choices, day in, day out, and I think that's where holiness is formed and forged, in those ordinary choices, we choose his ways. We walk in his light. We enjoy his presence and his power with us. On a Wednesday, This week, I was doing a Bible devotional with our three kids, and um, the end of it had this prayer about acknowledging our mistakes and asking God for his forgiveness. If I'm honest with you, in that moment, I think I was feeling quite proud. Here I was, in the middle of a heat wave at 3.30 p.m., teaching my children the Bible. And my kids are so young that they say lovely things to me. And so in that moment, I asked them a question. I said, kids, what are, what are maybe just one of mummy's you know, mistakes, things she doesn't get right? And to, I don't think I was expecting them to, to answer. You know, there I was, these three angelic faces. You know, what does, what does mummy do wrong? Without pausing for a breath, our seven-year-old son, Morgan, says, well, pass me a whole notebook. <laughs> and then... Moments later, we went around and it was his turn. His older sister said, I said, well, what about Morgan? What are his mistakes? And she said, well, pass me 5,000 dictionary size notebooks. (laughs) There are people in our lives, aren't there, who can help us 
become more holy. Who are those people for you? People you can regularly pray with. People you trust to confess your sin to, as the New Testament instructs us. But you know something? Our main friend who helps us grow, who empowers us and is with us so that that promise of 2 Corinthians 3.18 becomes our, our reality. Who is our friend? The Holy Spirit. He's our friend. He's the friend who empowers you. He's the friend who is with you. And from my experience, it won't feel with him like you're being handed a notebook full of failings the size of a dictionary. But no, through his grace and his love and his empowering, you're invited to live life in true freedom. And as we look at that Galatians 5 list, we can ask the question in our ordinary every day, where is the Holy Spirit at? Well, where's the Spirit of the Lord? Verse 22 of Galatians 5, in the love that we showed to that colleague that we find most perplexing, most difficult, Perhaps when, <laughs> when we start to pray for them, when we even talk to them at lunchtime. Where's the spirit of the Lord? In that moment where we exercise any power that we might have, being given any responsibility over people and situations with, what does it say, gentleness? Where's the spirit of the Lord? In that everyday choice to be generous with our time or perhaps to have a moment where we're radically generous with our finances. Where's the spirit of the Lord? In the moment where we choose to walk away from a compromising situation where we exercise, says Galatians here, self-control, where we turn off what we've been watching, where we seek prayer, where we get help, where we get close, where we get transformed. And then verse 19, that fit of rage we had last week, that's not where the spirit of the Lord is. That selfish ambition where we put our best foot forward, where we boast about our achievements or we speak badly of someone else so that we can get ahead, that's not where the spirit of the Lord is. It's not where the spirit of the Lord is if we just choose to speak to the people that we know are gonna boost how others think of us, the ones that are highly favored in our workplace or even in our church. That pattern of sexual immorality in our lives that's not in line with the Bible's teaching on sex, that's not where the spirit of the Lord is. Or that moment where we see feed someone into an email in a slightly passive aggressive way, that's not where the spirit of the Lord is. That pattern we have of picking a fight with people, or maybe not picking a fight, but just making sure that everyone knows our opinion about a topic and everyone listens to us. Something which perhaps can create, as verse 20 says, dissensions and factions. That's not where the Spirit of the Lord is. Live by the Spirit. Keep in step with the Spirit. Be led by the Spirit. He's your friend. He empowers you. He makes it possible for us to live out this extraordinary invitation of 2 Corinthians 18. So we have God's presence, we have his power, and finally, it's as we appreciate more those things, we step into this purpose. What John Stott said, that we would become more like Jesus. In 2 Corinthians 3.18, we read, so we with unveiled faces behold the glory of the Lord and we're being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another for, for this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. 
We become, you see, don't we, like what we behold? As we look, as we reflect, the, the language here is like a, like a mirror, as we reflect something of the goodness of Jesus, as we walk in step with the Spirit, we will find bit by bit in the ordinariness of our lives, this extraordinary purpose we're called to being fleshed out. You know, holiness is not about trying harder in and of itself, or legalistically following the, the instructions of Scripture just for the sake of it. Jesus' issue with the Pharisees wasn't that they were keeping the Old Testament law. These were the laws given in God's grace for his people at such a time. These were the laws that Jesus came to fulfill. No, Jesus' problem with the Pharisees was that they were doing it all externally, without connecting with him, without drawing on him, without knowing with an unveiled face that Jesus is God in the flesh. And so Paul writes in verse 18 that this purpose of God for us, this everyday holiness, is that we'll be transformed from one degree of glory to another, from glory to glory. Maybe you read that and you think, really? (laughs) Sometimes it can feel, can't it? Like the closer we get, the more aware we are we need to change. But I think that's because the Holy Spirit is at work in us. The Holy Spirit is changing, restoring, inviting us into freedom. It's a bit like learning to dance. It was interesting that Stephanie mentioned that earlier on the video. It's a bit like learning to dance. Maybe some of you are like, oh dear, that sounds terrible. There was a lot of dancing going on here and on Friday night we had a post-grad ball and The postgrads, some of them are really good at dancing and some of them just had a lot of fun. And in in this dance, this sort of dance of, of, of life as it were, we have the very best partner. And there will be a day where we will see him in all of his glory and we will dance perfectly. But here and now, in the ordinariness, on the bus, in the office, in your community, where God's placed you, we are to mirror his steps, bit by bit, to copy his moves as we are transformed from glory to glory. Before moving here to Oxford in September of 2021, we lived in Worcester for seven years and during this time we had three kids ages three and a half and under. I was at home with them for the seven years that we were in Worcester and the street I probably walked the most in Worcester was Orchard Street. This street was uh, the one I'd walked down just around the corner from our house where our kids preschool was and there was this one (laughs) memorable midday on Orchard Street where I was walking back from preschool to our house. I was pushing the buggy uh, with a a screaming newborn um, in it. I had like a rugby ball, our toddler son who had refused to get back into the double buggy. All the while our three and a half year old uh, was telling me that I needed to be careful not to squash the Play-Doh hedgehog creation that she had made that morning, which I was also trying to hold in my hand. I walked Orchard Street many times during that season of life. I walked there one evening on my own and I had this thought, imagine if anyone watches me and looks out of their window seeing me in this season of life walking up and down. In its own kind of way, Orchard Street 
flashed out for me something of verse 18 of 2 Corinthians 3. Being transformed from glory to glory. It didn't look very shiny. It was often a place and a space where I felt more aware than ever of the lack of the fruit of the Spirit in my life. But walking Orchard Street, I knew I had to dig deep. I knew I had to pray without ceasing. I knew I needed Jesus. I knew I needed to behold him and draw on his strength and know his presence and know his power and bit by bit. I was being shaped and molded. And it struck me the other day that actually the name of that street, Orchard, is a place and a space set apart for growth. Where is your Orchard Street? A chair that you sit on every morning to behold Jesus as you start your day. A commute to your place of work. A place in the ordinary every day of your life that is shaping you. Maybe it doesn't look particularly shiny. Maybe it doesn't look particularly glorious. But the promise here in the scripture is that if we behold Jesus, if we seek the power of his presence, we will be transformed. Perhaps you're here today and that verse in 2 Corinthians 3 seems a million miles away from your experience. Life is hard, suffering. Jesus' death is referred to as his glory. Perhaps you're here today and you're stuck in habits and you wonder, will I ever change? Will I ever be transformed? Can I ever shake that thing off? Will that habit, that addiction ever go? We'll hear afresh this morning the hope that Paul is writing of here. The hope that you have God's love for you, his grace poured out, Jesus' death for forgiveness of sin and the, his resurrection from the grave and the power of his Holy Spirit available to you. Don't back off from him. This morning, draw near, get close. Behold Jesus, isn't he beautiful? Isn't he wonderful? Get close to his extraordinary presence and power and be changed in the ordinary places and spaces that he has put you. Amen.